0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Always Evolving with me, Coach Mike, Mike Bear. If you don't know, I also have a Tuesday group that's a empowerment group. It's free, free to join. You just go to coachmikebear.comslash slash group, enter your email. And every week I have a different speaker. I sometimes speak, it's over Zoom, it's fantastic. Also, let me know what you think of this episode. Go to Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. My handle Mike Bear on all those platforms. But let's get into today's guest, who's pretty fascinating. He's a fellow sober dude. He wasn't always sober. His name's Dan Perez. He was the editor-in-chief of Details Magazine for over 15 years. And while mingling with some of the heaviest hitters in the fashion world, like Versace, Tom Ford... Another big name. He harbored a pretty crazy secret. Dan's here to tell us all about it and teach us a little something about his branding genius. This is going to be good. Welcome, Dan. Happy to be here. Great. So, um, you know, for the for the audience just getting to know you a little bit, and you really intrigued me, and that's why I really am so grateful that you came on the podcast. Tell us who Dan Paris is.
1: Well. Dan Paris is uh, an addict, Uh, Dan Paris is a sober dad, Dan Paris is a journalist and, uh, you know, trying to sort of lead a healthy life.
0: I mean, it seems like, you know, you, you had a pretty big career in terms of writing and journalism and, you know, editorial. What was your career?
1: So, I was the editor-in-chief of Details Magazine. Uh, Details Magazine was a you know, men's lifestyle magazine published by a company called Condé Nast. Uh, it closed in 2015, and I was the editor-in-chief of the magazine from 2000 until the time that it closed in 2015.
0: Wow, so you were there right when it started.
1: I was there at a relaunch. It had started, the magazine actually launched, I think in the mid to late 80s, and then had a number of different owners and editors, and then uh, it relaunched in 2000 with me as its editor, and I was there in that job for 15 years.
0: And that, that was, at the time, that was a huge publication, right?
1: Yes, at the time, you know, it was a big publication. Um, it was definitely a big job, and uh, it was a really, you know, uh, interesting experience for me. And how, how,
0: do, how does someone end up becoming an editor-in-chief of a major publication? Like, how does that happen? Well,
1: I, I mean, I can answer that in two ways. I can answer that specifically to, related to me, and then more kind of broadly speaking. I, I think in my case, I I got lucky. I was given the job uh, before I deserved to be given the job. And um What do you and, what do you,
0: yeah, what do you mean by that? Like how well,
1: well I I was 28 at the time. I was inexperienced. i had never really managed um a team of people before. I'd never hired or fired anyone. Um and uh, I had been working, of course, in magazines, but I'd never had a senior management position with with you know a whole team of people working with me. and so uh, the job was given to me which was great and and I'm grateful that that happened. Uh, but it, it, and this isn't false humility by the way. this isn't me being like no 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 I'll, you know, no, this is real like I should not have been given the job uh, but I was given a job and this is the sort of job that you don't say no
0: to. Why, why, do you, why, do, why do you think you were given the job? I mean, a lot of people would be like, I wish I was given the job.
1: Uh, you know, I think that the, the people that, that asked me to, to run the magazine, um, I guess, felt that, that they wanted uh, a young, fresh sort of voice. Then mm-hmm. they wanted someone who might bring a, a different perspective uh, to the magazine and, and help reach a new audience. And so I'm sure they felt that uh, that bringing in someone in their late 20s made sense. Uh, I had worked for the company for for many years. I don't know many years. I don't know why That's a lie. You know, but for <laughs> for probably you know five or six years, and um, I had a nice relationship uh, with the uh, with the editorial director, who was the person that was appointing this this role. Mm. And uh, I think he trusted me, and I think he. Uh, probably felt that I had a good sense of storytelling, and um, they, you know, took a gamble.
0: They they thought you were a, a a star in the making.
1: Well, that wouldn't be for me to say, but I, I certainly think that they, they probably hoped I was a star in the making.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think for that type of responsibility at such a large publication, I mean, you had to be really, I, I, I know, it sounds like you weren't quite ready for it, but there had to have been something like your eye for detail or your eye for uh, or, or your ability to socialize and connect with people. Like like what, even though you felt the time you weren't ready and you got lucky, what do you think uh, you really excelled at even back then when you look at your life?
1: I think back then I was able to find the story in anything. <laughs> And was able to sort of look at something and say, "Hey, you know what? This is a really interesting way to approach this subject." Mm. Um, and uh, I, I think that I, you know, I had the ability to to talk to people and to engage people, um, but you know, if I'm being honest, that was probably part of my. The part of the person, my personality, that that I use to kind of cover up, really just like immensely deep insecurity.
0: Mm. So, what what would you do when you started off at the job in terms of covering up uh, deep insecurity?
1: Um, I did a lot of pretending. Mm. You know, I think I've been pretending, you know, most of my life at that point, and so it was something I was comfortable doing. Um, I faked it until I made it. it. And, yeah. and, um, you know, probably conjured up a pretty strong
0: uh, level of false confidence. Got it. So it was almost like, um, if you were in getting into bigger and bigger meetings, it was instead of maybe just saying, I don't really know what I'm doing or can someone help me? You kind of exuded that, uh, you were really able to, to achieve it and do it.
1: Absolutely, I I, I I pretended that I knew what I was doing, and uh, and just kind of went with that.
0: Around that time, were you starting to dabble in substances, or was that already something that was going on?
1: I around the time that I got the job, which was in two thousand, I I was beginning um, to uh, take opiates pretty regularly Mm -hmm. and and it escalated very very quickly so the the as my career was taking off so was my drug
0: addiction do you remember the first time you did opiates i do yes what year was that or or what was going on
1: that was a few years before i got this job at details um i had injured my back Mm. uh and was prescribed vicodin uh, for that injury and ultimately had surgery several weeks later and was probably prescribed more Vicodin after that. And, um, but the first time I took it, uh, it certainly helped take away the pain. Um, but I also felt a sense of warmth and, euphoria slight though it may have been in those early days when I was still taking the med- medication as prescribed, uh, that I had, had never felt before.
0: Yeah. It was, it was, it was better than comfort soup.
1: It, it was better than anything.
0: Yeah. And, and at that point, did you say, "Uh Oh, or was it like, Oh, maybe I can manage this.
1: Yeah. I mean, at that point I, I was definitely like, hello, Got you know, it. because it, it was something that, like I said, I, I had never felt before. And um, it, it made me feel whole in a way. It made me feel like me in a way. It made me feel like I was home. Mm.
0: And did you do it alone? Or was this something you started to do with others?
1: It was something I almost exclusively did alone. Um, there's really one exception, uh, to that, but, but by and large, I did it alone. Uh, I would isolate and, and, uh, and take these pills.
0: And so the job started to take off, which in that became a lot more responsibility and your also substance abuse increased with that, like you mentioned. And when, at what point did you start to go no longer hello, but oof, this is a little unmanageable.
1: Probably about a year in, uh, to the, to the drug use. Wow. I, I, uh, maybe, maybe a little less, but, wow. um, I was able to, to maintain pretty much for about a year, uh, without there being too much of a problem, but, but ultimately I I started to need more and more pills. Um, My tolerance was, was increasing. And so as a result, the, the amount that I was taking at any given time was, it was increasing in lockstep with my tolerance. And so I got to a point where I started to run out uh, quicker, you know, and, and, I was just doing classic doctor doctor shopping at this point, and and I would would go get prescriptions from a number of different doctors and 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 fill them, and they would carry me through. But that stopped working as I started swallowing more and more pills. I just was my supply was dwindling, uh, and my supply couldn't keep up with the demand, um, uh, which was, you know, my own demand for them. And so, I started to go through withdrawal and I would, I would, um, get to a point where I would run out and I wouldn't have any more, uh, or wouldn't have an appointment with a doctor to get anymore for another couple of days or let's say even a week. And, and I would suffer miserably. Uh, it was at those points where I started to realize, um, wow, you know what? This is, uh, this is actually not good.
0: And and during that period of time, you were missing work.
1: I started to miss work more and more. Um, my absences at the office uh, became more frequent as the uh, addiction, the hold that the addiction had on me, uh, intensified. And so I would say, yes, at around that time, you know, I was I my presence in the office started to to. Um, suffer as a result.
0: And so was it almost like you had to do more of the like, push fake it till you make it show your confidence show that like there was maybe even mystery to you, but it was brilliant somehow or like, I
1: think that's, I think that's exactly right. I think that that's the way that I had hoped that it looked Hmm. right. So let let me at least be clear about that. um, But I I think like I started to become aloof and distant. And, um, you know, and I had hoped, I think that that was like this mysteriousness that, that came with people in a creative field, you know, like we're, you know, we're willing to tolerate, tolerate lots of sort of unusual behavior from, from people that deliver really strong creative results. You know, we hear about, uh, you know, songwriters or actors flipping out on set over this side of the other thing. But you, you kind of deal with that because, Hey, wow, look at this performance. The, yeah, this, and I this, think-
0: this guy's a creative genius. Just, you know, let him kind of be and and I'm sure to some regard, you actually had brilliant moments, regardless if you were using or not. Right. Like, like you probably found yourself in rooms with, people that all of a sudden you were like, wow, this is really, I'm, I am really successful with that.
1: You know, I mean, I think, I think I had, and this is not uncommon in the recovery community, but I think I had, you know, this, this incredibly powerful uh, insecurity, which was at odds with this like growing ego. Mm -hmm. Right. And so Um, there were moments where I was like, Oh my God, I'm a total fraud and I shouldn't even be in this room. And they're all on to me and they all know I'm a total fraud and that I shouldn't be in this room. And then there were moments where I would be like, yeah, I got this, you know, and and actually this idea is inspired and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, none of this could be happening without me. And so there's you know, then the, and there, there was this tug of war going on. You know, between both of those things.
0: Was there were any moments looking back when you when you look at it and you had a, uh, oh my God, they can see I'm a fraud. Any any moments when you look back at that period of time, any meetings where you're like, oh my gosh, that was a, that was a moment.
1: Yeah, because I would fill the space. You know, I think at that point, I, I'll explain what I mean when I, what, what, uh, by saying that. But, uh, you know, I would sometimes be in a meeting and wouldn't know what to say. And instead of just kind of taking a step back and listening or waiting to understand a little bit more, I would fill the, the space. I would I would jump into the empty, you know, to the silence with some answer that I shouldn't have been giving and, and I would know it as I would say, as I was saying it, literally, I would be saying, you know, well, I think we should do this or what I think is, doesn't make sense about your plan, blah, blah, blah. And, and as the words were coming out of my mouth would literally be in my mind thinking, what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and you can see, you could, I could see people's eyes um, look at me almost like
0: what the fuck are you saying as I was saying these things? Yeah, like I I, uh, I went to a Fordham uh, University in the Bronx and I, my drug of choice was meth. So we're kind of on opposite sides of the <laughs> we, uh, we sure spectrum of what we desired. And I remember being in class, being up for four, for four days, and I think it was a philosophy class. And the teacher asked a question and I was in my diesel black jacket. And I remember raising my hand uh, and gave some explanation on Descartes. And literally, instead of everyone looking at me like I was brilliant, I just remember everyone turning their heads and staring at me and like, and I have no idea what I even said. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no idea what even came out of my mouth. And then everyone looks right. at you and you're like, oh shit, I just said totally. something that maybe offended someone or inappropriate or, or is it me or do I need sleep? Right? Like. Totally. I,
1: and I had, you know, a number of experiences like that maybe far too many to even count, where I would just kind of, because my insecurity had me, you know, I was like, okay, I'm in the room. I've made it into the room. And that was kind of validating for me because I was always seeking validation, right? And, and so here I was, I was in the room, and, and half the time I was leading the meeting in the room. and uh, so. But I was surrounded by people who were far smarter than I was. Um, but I still, despite the fact that I had been given a job where I was the one that was running the meeting, um, I still felt insecure enough to, to not just sort of be comfortable with the fact that all these other people are so smart, you know, and that I should have been OK with that. But I wasn't OK with that. So I would either, um, you know, uh, try to show them that I was smarter, which yeah. I clearly wasn't. So I must have sounded like a total idiot. Uh, or worse, I would take some perfectly smart, you know, great idea of theirs and, and dismiss it for some reason just because I was in a position to do it. And this is, this is how, how, how just sort of insecure and, 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 and um, almost immature and lost I was, you know, that I needed to do these things to, to somehow – Make me feel better, and and nothing was really making me feel better. And then all of a sudden, these opiates came along, and I thought that they were making me feel better.
0: And and did, do you think that uh, the people around you knew what was going on?
1: You know, it's really difficult for me to say. You know what what other people knew. I mean, sure. Some, uh, you know, but um, I don't think that anyone in that moment knew. Uh, that I was a drug addict they 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 may have suspected something was off right Maybe they they I maybe mean, he's taking something or maybe he's high but uh, surely no one knew how bad it had gotten because it had gotten really bad really quickly
0: yeah you know it's 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 really fascinating that you you're in a position where you're making decisions you're managing, I mean, how many, how many staff worked at the magazine at this time?
1: Uh, for me, yeah. um, probably 30.
0: 30 writers? Or like
1: yeah, writers, graphic sister, designers? right? Uh, art directors, the yeah. whole
0: And And you're in this position where uh, it's almost like uh, it's a very dangerous place for someone to be an addict because there's really uh, only so much supervision that happens. Um, because you're really just reporting probably to, um, uh, you know, I'm guessing, let's say Condé Nast and those meetings aren't happening as frequent as the, you know, as, as the means are happening for details magazine, right?
1: You're, you're absolutely right. So it, it, it almost seemed like there was no adult supervision, despite the fact that I was supposed to be the adult in the room, um, there, you know, you're absolutely right. The sort of meetings with the corporate body if you will you know happened you know not infrequently but but not certainly not every day and and so this was my show to run as it were and and listen that allowed me to to do what i did which was
0: you know take
1: tons of of opiates and not be super present um, and and continue on this path that that ultimately got, you know, super dangerous for me.
0: In terms of you realizing, uh, like, oh, man, I really messed up this one. I know you talked about uh, a story with Ben Affleck where there was a moment there. Uh,
1: yeah, you know, I, I think, yeah, I'm happy to talk about that, of course, but I, but I don't even think that was, me messing up necessarily ultimately i take full responsibility for everything that happened at the magazine but but this was something that that would have been difficult to prevent and, and, and in this instance we did a an interview with ben affleck we put him on the cover of the magazine and the writer um i think probably just uh either I, I, I want to be fair to the writer because I don't remember the exact circumstances but either took some things out of context potentially or or connected some quotes from different parts of a conversation to, to, to make one quote which you should obviously not do again just to be clear I'm not exactly sure what he did yeah. but I know that that it was uh, it was it was not right and mm-hmm. so um, whether or not that, writer did those things is somehow related to my drug addiction is probably debatable. Um, but there were a number of things that, that, that happened that, uh, that probably shouldn't have happened. Um, but then again, things and, you know, media like mistakes happen. and, And I loved the job. Right. And, and, um, I started to, to, not prioritize the job as drugs became a bigger priority for me and ultimately the only priority for me. Um, but but while I was doing the job, uh, I, I enjoyed it and, and tried to take it seriously. There were certainly moments where I would be like, I can't believe that this is my life right now, or I can't believe that I'm having a conversation with this celebrity or this fashion designer or this head of such and such a company um, but I wouldn't roll my eyes with some sort of like indifference or like huh like look at this joker it was more I, I would really just try to own my own lies and own the con that I that I felt like I was perpetrating and and so I would uh, if I didn't um Uh, So, you know, so I would, I would, you know, at times sort of maybe appear aloof or distracted. um, But I was definitely, you know, excited about the job. I, I don't think I was ever super jaded about it. Well, you went,
0: you went, you stayed at the job even after you got sober, right? So I did. Yeah. So it's like you, you got so, so you were behaving and managing. It's almost like a father who goes away to treatment and comes back and the kid's, are like, we like the old daddy, because the old daddy maybe uh, turned his head or wasn't as responsible, right? And then dad comes back, and there's like, this is a v- different version of dad. Did you have some of that happening?
1: I think that the before and after are probably really interesting and, 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 and very clear to see. Um, so when I got sober in 2007, I... I still had the job for another eight years until the magazine closed. So I was there for 15 years and it's really like more or less, that the first half I was an active addict and the second half I was an addict in recovery. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I'm sure it was like night and day. It was like flipping a, a, a light switch on or off, you know? And all of a sudden I was super present. I was the first one in the office in the morning and I was, responding to emails and, and I wasn't, uh, irritable. And I, you know, you know, so I would think in probably in some ways, the people that I worked with who incidentally helped get that magazine out every month. Um, and particularly, uh, when I was actively taking drugs did far more work than, than they, than, than that they signed on to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I was, I was so mercurial and 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 um, not present. Um, so I think that when I got sober and then you know showed up to work as a sober man, uh, that they were probably relieved. I, I, I'm sure they maybe scratched their heads a little bit and were like, "Hey, wow, what's this all about?" But all of a sudden, I was there and I was kinder and more attentive and, and probably more respectful, if I'm being honest. And um, and so it it really was like night
0: and day and and uh what was the amends process like for you? with
1: the people that I worked with?
0: Yeah, people you worked with or clients, celebrities, vendors like I imagine you had a a pretty extensive I need to let people know who I am today or apologies for stuff. Was there any of that? There
1: was I was still very I wanted to be very careful to to. Um, not disclose my um, adi- addiction to anybody. And and I was very concerned about the stigma related mm. to addiction. And so I, I wasn't making direct, hey, this is what I've gone through, and I know that I treated you incredibly poorly or unfairly or whatever the case may be you know over the last number of years and and I'm sorry for that it wasn't done in a direct way like that so it was a more of a, of a living amends right um and and B, um, more a lot of you know cuz listen you're still you know I wasn't perfect even sober right and I'm still not sure. obviously so if i was short tempered with someone or dismissive of something or said or did something that that i you know, new didn't feel right. I would promptly take action and say, Hey, wait a minute. I'm, I'm sorry. I just said that, or I'm sorry about the way that I spoke to you, or you know what? I actually do want to hear this idea, or Hey, how about we approach it this way? So I would try to do it, um, using the tools that I got from the program, um, but without directly sitting down, uh, w- with them and, and making a full on proper
0: amends got it and so and so that the audience listening can understand the the uh, gra- the the kind of lifestyle you were in can you talk about like the fashion brands and celebrities and kind of paint the picture of what that looked like for because i think you're so in it so it's you know it whereas on the outside it's like well, what is is it mean you're hanging out with Donatella Versace and getting martinis and then off to a party or is it like Behind the office and pounding away at the next, you know, design cover, right?
1: Right. Um, it, it was a little bit of both. Um, I definitely uh, know and and spend a lot of time with Donatella Versace and other fashion designers. So it was my job to um, you know manage this this magazine, and 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 that meant you know everything related to the to the magazine. So we would put celebrities on the covers. We would host dinners for those celebrities at times or movie premieres. And I would be the host of those things. So there's a lot of interaction with celebrities and and movie stars and and directors and and then a ton of interaction with fashion design. So uh, I would spend time with everyone from Giorgio Armani to Dolce & Gabbana to uh, Tom Ford and Donatella Versace, and these were incredibly important relationships because these were the people that advertised in our mm-hmm. magazine and that that's what paid the bills. And so uh, and we would showcase their clothing and, and even sometimes them in the pages of the magazine. And so these were incredibly important relationships and uh, this was my world, you know um, and I was in this world, but, I never felt like I belonged in this world. And and I, you know, as I said, you know, I was always sort of felt like that I was pretending, um, which, which I, which I did. And, uh, so I had relationships with lots of these people and lots of, um, you know, Hollywood celebrities. Any of
0: those designers or or celebrities you got honest with about, you know, shortly after getting sober and any of them were really encouraging or really great.
1: Uh, Yes. I, I, um, You know, I've had, I had probably shortly after getting sober, I had a conversation with Tom Ford about my sobriety um, and uh, And, maybe it got to, it got to a point after being sober for a couple of years where I just sort of started talking about it.
0: And when you say it with um, with Tom Ford, for example, because I know you talked about before he saw you when you were using, right?
1: Right. I mean, I I write about in the book an experience uh, that I surely don't expect him to remember. But (laughs) I I was at an event in New York, and I was taking my last Vicodin. I was actually starting to go into withdrawal, and I ended up that night in an emergency room trying to con a doctor out of pills, which I ultimately did successfully, Uh, but before that part of the evening, I had one last pill that I was kind of hoping and praying would, would like at least tide me over until I got out of this event that we were at. And I went into the bathroom and I leaned over the sink, you know, and there was a bank, a line of maybe four or five sinks and was put the pill in my mouth and was leaning down the cup water from the faucet into my mouth just as Tom Ford walked in and said, hey, Dan Paris, what are you taking? And mm. I, you know, and he was being sardonic and kind of like playful, but I was taking drugs, you know, and... and um, So what'd so you say? I said, oh, I have a headache. I'm just taking uh, aspirin, you know? <laughs> yeah, you're
0: like taking the funkiest you know? looking aspirin pill, right?
1: Right. <laughs> to which he said, sure, sure you are, and then just kind of like, you know, kept going. And so, I, you know, I think... I think ultimately talking about my sobriety with someone like that, uh, you know, was just something that probably came up years later. Um, we may have been at at an event, uh, and you know, I don't drink, you know, and I don't do drugs, and and I probably just sort of mentioned it casually mm. as I started to do more and more.
0: And I'm guessing that's part of uh, also why you made a decision to write this book is you wanted to kind of um, give some hope. Would that be right?
1: I think that's exactly right. You know, I want it. Well, first of all, to your first point, you know um, yes, it's like for anyone that's ever had the experience of going into a 12 step meeting. um, And, and to be clear, I think there are lots of different paths to recovery. You know, my, my path, includes 12 step meetings, but, but there's no right or wrong way to, to approach this. Right. But that, that's what works for me. But for anyone who's ever walked into a 12 step meeting and here you are, let's say the first time you're going into a meeting or if you're traveling and you're in a foreign city, uh, and you go into a meeting, um, you know, you connect very quickly with these people for precisely the reason you you just said, right. That you're, you're super like-minded. You know, you all used to be con artists and you all used to be, feel like you were frauds, and have the same level of deep insecurity or, you know, feel like you never fit in. You know, these are common themes, right, that you hear in, in the rooms of 12-step meetings. And so um, there is this like immediate connection and that's the power of this program, at least for me. And that, that's what's been incredibly... Uh, helpful. Um, but yes, to sort of circle back, um, I think the main reason I wrote the book, not, not, not the, you know, there are others, but, but certainly one of the main reasons is, uh, is to do just what you said, to, to show people that, that there's hope. I was an active opiate addict for, for seven years, and I was swallowing handful after handful of these pills at one time, up to 60 a day. And it's a miracle that I'm alive. And I OD'd a number of times. And, and I just, I'm here by the grace of God, you know. And so for, for me uh, to now be able to share my story, I, you know, if, if there are people out there that are struggling or people out there that, are know, that know people that are struggling, I really do uh, hope that this book shows them that there's a way out uh, and does offer some at least glimmer of of hope.
0: Yeah. And I, I think um, that's what you've done is you've found your story, just like you initially said through writing uh, as needed for pain, a memoir of addiction and you're telling that story and it sounds like you're going to continue to do that story. And are there other projects you're currently working on that um involve storytelling?
1: There are. I mean, I'm doing um from a professional side, I'm consulting with, with a number of brands and media companies uh on just that, you know, content strategies and storytelling. But I, I'm also starting to work on what I hope will be a new book um about fatherhood and and recovery. You know, I got sober. Ninety-two days before my oldest son was born. Wow! And um, so his birth was as corny as it may seem, my rebirth. And and uh, so fatherhood is incredibly important to me. I, I have three sons, and um, you know, being their dad is the most important thing in my life. And and it dovetails really nicely with my recovery. And so I'm starting to explore writing about that.
0: That sounds amazing. Um, Congratulations to your son as well for having a dad who's going to be sober uh, throughout his life. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, man, I, you know, I can't tell you how grateful I am that my children have only ever known me as a sober dad.
0: Mm -hmm. Total pivot. And I'm just randomly curious. You, you clearly know, Branding, advertising, telling a story—what tips do you have for someone out there who is building a brand and wanting to tell a story? Like, what what are the do's and don'ts that just come up for you from your years of experience? Because at this point, I don't think you're faking it till you make it. You clearly have made it. So,
1: I, I think um, I think you have to be true to yourself, and and it's not it's easy to say that, but it's mm. not always easy to do that. Uh, And I think you have to understand yourself and understand what distinguishes you from any other story that's out there. And, uh, and so, but, but, you know, we say, you know, again, just to bring it back to recovery to thine own self, be true. Mm -hmm. You know, like you, you can't, you can't be bullshitting yourself and you have to understand who you are and, and what you have to offer. Everybody has a story and, and, Just like my story, you know, I just wrote this book, uh, and there are a number of things that that are unique about my story, right? I had this job, and I had access to all these kind of cool cultural people and and all of that, and that's great, but at its core, it's actually a really common story, right? Mm -hmm. Someone injures themselves, gets prescribed these drugs, gets addicted to these drugs, and that addiction nearly kills them. And that's, that's far too common, sadly, than, than we even really are probably comfortable admitting, right? Mm. Um, but find the, the, the pieces of your story that make you unique and, 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 and own that and be true to that. Uh, and I think that's, that's a, a great sort of branding tip, right? Whether you're writing or trying to sell a product, you know, what, what's, what are your points of distinction and own them, really own them and, and, and put them out there for people to see.
0: And, and you're saying that that's where you saw success also with fashion brands is they would really own it. They would have a clear identity and it would be authentic to their design, right?
1: Absolutely. And so there are a lot of brands that do the same thing, right? You know, like you could go out and, find a shirt from J. Crew that looks just like a shirt from The Gap that looks just like a shirt from, I don't know, Old Navy or whatever, you know. So there's a lot of sameness there, but within the fashion world, there are also a lot of distinction and there are a lot of designers that are working out there now that you can kind of look at and be like, oh, wow, that's definitely, if you're interested in fashion, you go, oh yeah, that's Prada. Oh my God, that looks like so much like Calvin Klein. So you just sort of like own your voice, figure out what your point of view is, figure out what your points of distinction are and and use them as assets, you know? And, 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 and,
0: and did you see like, so you would see fashion brands just like any business, right? That That it almost, unless they were truly being authentically grown, did they have a hard time lasting where they kind of like just a moment, you know, you don't need to name designers at all, but I'm just, you you saw so many, you know?
1: Right. But I think it's true even beyond fashion, right? That like, if you're doing something that, that no one else is doing, um, you know, people are, of course, other people are going to be making pants and other people are going to be making suits and right. shirts, and dresses, you know, high heel shoes, whatever it is but if you're doing it in a way that's very specific to you then you're going to have success. In the same way, if you have a restaurant that does something really amazing and really unique, people are going to keep coming back to that or if you make a television show that is just awesome and unique and specific to you and and you know, other people of course are making television shows and are of course entertaining people but People know that when they tune into your show, they know what they're going to get. Mm-hmm. Just like people know that when they picked up the magazine that I was running, they, uh, they knew what they were going to get. Or if you go in to buy a pair of Nike shoes, you know what you're going to get. You know you want Nike, not Adidas, because that's your taste so or whatever what? it is. And, and so I think you have to kind of own what makes you different. You have to, you know, um, understand who the people are that are drawn to that and you got to just keep giving them, you know, what they're coming to you for.
0: It seems like even, even crossing over to fashion, there's even fashion brands that put clothing on people who have huge followings, right? Like they, that
1: person. Yeah. So the whole marketing model has basically changed now. Right. So, so they, you know, these companies used to spend millions of dollars a year on uh, buying pages in magazines like mine, advertisements in magazines like mine. Um, but that the whole reason my magazine closed and, and many others have as well, is because these companies are now realizing, well, really the best way or, or a one of the the best ways for me to reach my potential consumer or even my current consumer isn't to put an ad in a magazine but it's to just do it on social media because here is this person this this uh, influencer you know has hundreds of thousands or even millions of followers so if I can have them put on my new Burberry raincoat or my new Adidas sneakers uh, then, then that's just so much easier. And so they're taking the money that they used to pay magazines like mine to run their ad, and they're just giving it to the influencer who's then, you know, taking a picture of themselves in those Nikes. Yeah. And, and, and that that works.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's where I think in terms of to the I own self be true, it seems like there's so much uh, – effort for someone to be seen so that they then could somehow leverage themselves to get that Adidas shoe or that, uh, Burberry coat, right. Is people really trying to be something that, uh, really they're not. And it, the whole thing's just interesting to me. Just, just how, um, what is considered relevant? What is considered cool? Like why people choose? Because you're really I, I see fashion, fashions an art form, and you were in it for so many years. So is design, a publication of a magazine, right? There's mm-hmm. so it's all, it's like uh, it, it's the packaging of creativity, and I just feel like you are a uh, this is great information because you're just like a a a hotbed of wisdom you know, in regards to branding, uh, identity, sobriety. I love how you tied it back to about it being about, you know, that's why you chose to put what you put in the book. Like that's why you put, um, you know, sure. Even though it's true and, um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately by bringing attention to the types of people you are around, it actually does help more people because people are more likely to pick up the book. And it's also true. Right. right. Um, and then this next phase of your life is about being a father and you know, kind of the rebirth and that next phase. And in the meantime, it sounds like you're consulting for different uh, brands and projects and uh if people do want to follow you on social media, what is your social media handle?
1: So on Instagram, it's Dan D-A-N underscore Paris, P-E-R-E-S. And on Twitter, it's at Dan Paris N Y. Um and of course, the book is called As Needed for Pain, and you can get that on Amazon or anywhere where you where you get books.
0: And is there an audio book as well?
1: There is. There's an audio book. There's a Kindle version. There's a hardcover, uh, and all are you know all are out there to be found.
0: So you guys check out the book As Needed for Pain, a memoir of addiction. Contact Dan on social media. Dan, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm grateful. All
0: right. Thanks, buddy. Subscribe, download, and we'll be having more podcasts out every week with incredible people. So I'll talk to you guys soon.